From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 230, and today I'm joined by filmmaker Rob Haggins. Rob has made such indie features as Barbara, as well as Around the World, and he's known on YouTube as the Bespeckled Mofo for his YouTube series, How to Make a Movie for $1,000. And we're going to watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Witches of Eastwick. I am Jeremy, and I have not seen this film, and with me is... Rob Haggins, uh, he of the Bespeckled Mofo channel on YouTube, and... Uh, proprietor of the new screenwriting from the podcast, uh, from the Trenches podcast. And uh, I, I have seen this movie. I, <laughs> you recommended this movie. I, it's one of my favorites. I've recently heard that Jack Nicholson says that he will only do movie if there are a handful of really great scenes in this movie. And he, that he certainly lives up to sort of that boast because there is just uh, more than a few scenes of Jack Nicholson chewing scenery in this movie. The scene where he sort of... Don't, don't, I don't, I've never seen it. So don't, no, 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 no. There's a meet cute sort of between him okay. and Cher. And the, <laughs> just, I didn't know Cher was in this. That was a spoiler. Cher is in this movie. And that's what's great. It's Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, and they are the witches of Eastwick. And man, the meet cute between Jack Nicholson and Cher. Whoa, she's just like off the walls. Insane. I love, I, I mean, you love Jack anyway, but this is like prime Jack. This is prime Jack material. Nice. So yeah. uh, this is one of the big movies growing up uh, in my house, sort of similar to the, our last uh, podcast. But unlike that one, this one, this, <laughs> if you don't like this one, I'm going to wonder about you. I'm like, that says more about you, Jeremy, than it does. I'm like the last we can't one. we can't be friends. Yeah, uh, I'm looking. For, this is one I don't know what. What year is this movie? Do you hey, know? Mm, uh, mm. I can look it up. I feel like it falls into that weird pocket of movies that it's I late was, '80s. It's late '80s. See, I don't know why I didn't get around to seeing this one. It's because my parents didn't rent it. That's the only reason. Because my, you know, if. Uh, 87. So I was like yeah. six. I was six. That's what I thought. I thought yeah. it was, uh, I thought it was 87. Yeah. 87. Yeah. So by the time this is like in video stores, I was probably around like nine or so. I don't know, man. Is this rated R? So there's just some, is there some dirty stuff in this movie? There's some dirty stuff in this movie. That's the other oh, thing. Oh, it is rated I, R. Oh, it is yeah. rated R. Damn. Yeah. yeah that's probably uh, why I didn't see it. Cause I was nine years old at the time. Yeah. Well, uh, there's an argument that uh, after, uh, after the movie's over, I want to ask you about if because it this sort of takes place post in that 
you know, satanic panic uh, era of, of morality of the 80s, like that sort of thing. And I'm wondering if after you see the movie, I'll, I'll ask you what you think uh, if the movie is sort of coming out against uh, this kind of lifestyle. Um, because I feel like it is like it's fairly on the nose, but I mean, and it would be it. I don't think people would notice it now. I don't think it would be. It wouldn't be the same sort of thing now, but I think at that time, just in the context from, of, the, of the period, yeah, yeah, people were just like, no, no, none of that. Um, but yeah, it's just this weird bohemian kind of uh, a movie and stuff like that. And it it also is one of those eighties movies that you know very much like the Princess Bride, like by the bit, by the movie, like you know. You sort of brought that up the last time where it was like, and I you realize a lot of 80s movies are just like that. You're just kind of, well, I've got to buy into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's just like, well, it's one of those, here's the thing. It's like, I don't mind that because I've made some higher content movies. And mm-hmm. it's, but that's the trick is like, if the filmmaker does a good job, at least going suspend your disbelief, I'll buy into it as long as it's not like that plus another thing, plus another thing. You just keep on layering shit on that doesn't fit together. Right. But I'll buy into your initial presence uh, premise. If you, you know, give me a justifiable reason to do so. Right. As we were, we were uh, both loving on uh, um, the screen and pitch meetings. And, uh, and one of my favorite tropes from that is when he's like, why does that happen? So the movie can work. (laughs) Why did yeah, why, why did you do that? So the movie can happen. So the movie can Fair happen. Fair enough. Yeah. There's so much of that in movies though, right? Where it's just like, why is that character doing that thing? Oh, so yeah. the plot because they're doing it for the plot and the script as opposed to for what they would do. And that's the yeah, big, the, biggest the note I give to screenwriters now. Is yeah, like, the thing that's that's really bothering me that I'm sort of seeing a lot of is there's I don't know if it's it's not new, but it's like someone gets information and then they go do a thing. And then later on, they go, oh, we got this new information from the last thing we got information for. We broke down the code. And it's like, wait a minute, stop. <laughs> you, you, you had code that gave you this. Now you have to, you broke down the, why didn't we break down the code before we did this? Couldn't we have done, could we have killed two birds with one stone? This is one pile of information that we're working with. We couldn't, we yeah. couldn't have broken it down before. We, this is. No, okay. It's, it's so true. It's just it's it's so rewarding when characters are acting as smart as they possibly could. Yeah. And I say that with, you know, the characters themselves, like depending on their level of intelligence, I'm fine with it. If your character's dumb, have him do the smartest thing that dumb person would do. Right. You know, and that and I'm fine with that. But if your character is supposed to be a super intelligent person and you're making silly, stupid mistakes like that, that's a problem. Unless again, it's like clear to the character that character is stupid and you're making a comedy and you're making fun of it right it just that takes me out of it now it's just one of those movie things where characters are you know this should have been a thing before we did the last thing like we why wasn't that the information completely disseminated before we did this other thing that's just it. And I was I was doing a speech last week and they asked me, they're like, what's the one thing that, you know, do you, can you ever watch movies uh, with and turn your filmmaker off, filmmaker brain off and not mm-hmm. like analyze them? And I said, yeah, when the writing is good. Right. Because it just disappears. You just get lost. Right. Uh, yeah. Even movies I've seen over and over again that I'm trying to study, I just get lost in it. But if the writing's bad, 
and I and it pulls me out. Like it's just almost impossible to not just go wait a fucking minute. Yeah, there's two things that sort of pull me out. Characters making stupid decisions like that or, or lazy writing like that. And the other one is something where it's so formulaic that as a as a screenwriter or as you a just know where it's going. Right. I know exactly where it's going. And then you hit the and then you do the thing that I think you're doing, and now I'm out of the movie because now I'm predicting the movie. Like I'm ahead of you, and now this movie's no longer fun to watch because I'm already if I'm predicting it, then you know. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting in my seat. I've already seen the movie in my head. I don't yeah. need you to act it out for me. I'm, I'm paid, already there. I paid you to make the movie. Right. <laughs> what did I just waste my $20 on? I could have sat and done this at home. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I could have written, I could have guessed what your movie was going to be and I would have right. been right. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I waste my time? We're in a pandemic. Um, yeah, I just, no. that, bothers the crap out of me i just and that was wonder woman 84 um anyway I, I just watched it and i was expecting to hate it much more than i did based on how much everyone else hated it so i went in with the bar super low and i was at least entertained see i felt that way about batman v superman i knew i was going to like hate that movie because of the way everyone else like like hated on it. And then I went into it. I was like, no, this is a hate watch. Immediately just went in with my expectation completely lowered. And then when they do like the swirling thing with the young Bruce Wayne, I was like, what? sure, sure. <laughs> Why not? Fine. I don't care. I don't I, care. I finally just watched Snyder's uh, four hour epic. Oh, uh, uh, I refuse. Oh, I didn't mind it. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I treated it like I was binge watching a, a short season of a, of a series <laughs> and I just like, but, but no, but also I, I was surprised that I was like, Oh, I want to watch the next episode. It wasn't, yeah, it, it wasn't it's a just, mini series. That's kind of what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a limited series is the best yeah. way to kind of look at it, but with like a really big scope. Right. Because that, and I can't, I tried to like, you can't get into these arguments on Twitter because it's not the proper Twitter is not the proper place to have any sort of argument, but it's like these Snyder fanboys who were like, release the Snyder cut. Now see, this is the golden goodness that we were all promised. And I'm like, no, your movie's still a pile because he didn't do the work. DC never did the work. That's what made Avengers work. Are we not? Oh, not for all that. The yeah, same yeah. Rules? Like for what Marvel's it's worth. That four-hour cut is way superior to the... the it would have cut. to be. It would, <laughs> it would have to be. Can you imagine if it wasn't? Right. It would. In order to justify its existence, it literally has to be. It would just... By, by definition, that has to be better. Yeah, the amount of money they spent on that, it better be. I know. It was like an extra $70 million on top of whatever, man. Can you, but imagine, like, you can imagine if you fucked it up and no, <laughs> one of us like, what happens? Like, sorry, guys, I tried. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You just shouldn't have done that in the first place. Warner Brothers is just out 70 million bucks. Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Uh, but yeah, because like, like Marvel did the work. They were like, yeah. you know what? No, we're going to do, they, they did Iron Man and then they did, you know, like Iron four, Man 2 and five, Captain America four, five and Thor. Before, yeah. Right. They did it. And, and then they were like, now that all the characters have been introduced and we know these things, we don't have to do all this work. You know, if you come into Avengers cold, that's on you, man. Like we did the work. We gave you the background Four or five movies. Go back and watch them or don't. But when you come into Avengers, then you can just get to the story of what Avengers is. 
why is there a reason to team these characters up? But in that Snyder cut, like they're bringing in the Flash, they're doing an origin for the Flash, they're doing an origin for Cyborg, they're doing an origin for uh, Aquaman, like all of these things, they're doing all of this stuff at once because they, they haven't done the work. Yeah, They haven't done any of the work. And so then you spend all of that time before you even get to the plot of the movie. How the hell did we get here from Itch- Witches of Eastwick? I don't know. Jack Nicholson, man. Um, Love it. Yeah, oh, he, was in a, he was in a superhero movie? Yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah. He's one of the OGs. Oh, man, that's so good. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the Danny Elfman score, the Prince. Uh, so <laughs> Prince much, Needle so Drops. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, we should before we we we'll just, we're, you know you and I are just gonna eventually go into a tirade of, of misnomers. But before that, we should watch the movie. Right, right, right. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. Yeah. What a trip. <laughs> My son came down, um, I can't remember where, it was during one of the seductions, and he's like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, Jack Nicholson says, what was the line? I just like to have a little pussy after lunch. Pussy after lunch. Something along those lines. Uh, that, that was my Jack, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's not it. bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's uh, <laughs> that, that one wasn't good. His uh, the dance in the moonlight. I, I, his his Joker. Uh, I got down. <laughs> Joker dancing the devil with a uh, dancing the uh, with the devil in the pale moonlight. My favorite line from that movie is, "We're like Beauty and the Beast, but if anyone else calls you, you know, beast, beast, I'll rip, I'll rip lungs their lungs out." out. <laughs> <laughs> so good, um, man! What uh, a trip that movie was. He's so- right. Like, what I admire about Jack Nicholson in this movie is there's no way he could know what he's doing is going to work. But he just no, goes, he just goes, he just goes for it. Yeah, the like, there's no way. His wardrobe, <laughs> his wardrobe in the final sequence, that pink tuxedo. Yeah, what is this? Just it, it's like this. Oh, Almost, is there a reason why, like, every single piece of clothing with him is, like, three sizes too large? I don't know. It, like, you know, um, you could say it was something, like, they were trying to say that the man's uncomfortable in his own skin. Uh, or, you know, that he's trying to cover something or hide something. That he's actually much bigger than we actually see. Well, yeah, we find that out at the end, yeah. Uh, well, he's, uh-huh. you know... The devil. One assumes the devil. the devil, or or a demon of some kind. Um, right. You know, he's never because he's never outly. Yeah, they'd never but, expressly say that he was the devil, except uh, Felicia, the devil, horse. <laughs> the scene in the church is the end, man. Veronica Cartwright in that scene, she's just out there, man. She's just she's another one, just letting it all hang out. In this movie. Oh, God. She's just insanely... It's great, but it all works. But it all works. Like, there's this weird tonal tap dance that the movie takes. Uh, And you can see why, you know, 
why you pick someone like George Miller to do that movie. Right. I had no idea that this was a George Miller movie. And then I was talking to my wife and my daughter were watching it with me. And I was like, this is from the same director of Mad Max Fury Road and Happy Feet. Yeah. Like- and Babe. And Babe. Babe. Pick it. Pig in the city. Yeah. Oh what a, yeah, but, it's insane. But it, it makes sense. Like the guy has like look at you look at the Mad Max movies, and those things are just a tonal dance too. Like the guy know like again, hit or miss. Um, he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, he's clearly and, a master. Yeah, and if you're on board for the ride, you're in for a ride. Right. Um, like the movie, it it shouldn't work. No, no. <laughs> like no. It, it dances this line too. Like I'm curious how how it plays with with females because it's like in theory it's progressive, <laughs> but it's like feels right. misogynistic. Although it, that it, feels like I mean that's kind of John John Updike's kind of like oeuvre. Like if you like yeah yeah like if you've read his books like they ride that line between like extreme feminism and extreme misogyny all at once yeah um, and this one almost seems like it's trying to like be that thing where it's almost making being a satire on misogyny mm-hmm. and I think it works but I'm not a girl so I don't want to <laughs> get in don't trouble ladies let me know <laughs> in the tweets. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, to be fair, I watched it with, you know, because it is like right there because they have, you know, that, you know, my, my, um, watched it with both my wife and my daughter. And, and were they very, think? very uh, different reactions and stuff like that. My daughter was just kind of like, no to all of it. <laughs> uh, like, How old is she? She is 20. And so she's like, you know, like not a fan of like, most of the men in the film and stuff like that, you know, you have the principals coming by and like putting his hands on Susan Sarandon's ass. Dude, (laughs) the class can see that shit. There's no way. But then also that same guy just, I went before we leave him. Yeah. He's reading like that thing. There's a massive storm. People are running around screaming. He's just committing to reading the thing. Like he doesn't blink. Right, it's like a, it's a play on like that guy who's so in love with his own voice that, but literally a, a flash flood could not interrupt <laughs> could not yeah. interrupt his flow. Like, so your daughter was not having it. She was not having it. She was like, I would have slapped him across the face and told the children it was a le- uh, lesson on consent. Like, <laughs> did not consent for you to touch my ass. No, no. Like, say something, literally. You know what I mean? Like, I dare you. Like, who's in the wrong here, asshole? The kids could um, all see. There's no way. At least at least a third of the class didn't see that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's the Michelle Piper's husband, who's just terrible on paper, like, like left her with how many kids and that's one of the things that sort of gets me like whenever they get a moment alone i'm like this woman is a single mother with five children who is watching these children where yeah. she goes what yeah they're not old enough to watch each other no like what babysitter is she paying by like in in in, in like spanish doubloons to watch <laughs> these children somebody's getting rich off these kids <laughs> Half her paycheck is going to babysitters. 
because um, it's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. And then, but here's the thing. Here's the question I wanted to ask you because I, I thought would, would bring this back around. Do you think, have, having seen the movie, if the movie, in addition to being sort of a, um, a treatise on feminism, at least second wave feminism, as it was at the time, I believe, but like, or maybe third wave feminism, I'm not quite sure on that. Some, some either second or third wave feminism, but either way. But is it also anti-polyamory? Because of the relationship between the women and Daryl and then how the town treats them as they are in this relationship where all things are being explored. Like each one seems to have an equal sort of stake in the relationship. Like they're definitely, uh, you know, he's definitely allowed to play along with them and them, I guess, with, you know, whatever. But they definitely have some sort of like non-monogamous relationship of a sort uh it's like mm-hmm. a, their own little polycule and the town like as soon as that becomes a thing you know you have that scene with susan sarandon like in the store and they've been outed in the newspaper and everybody's like you're a slut slut like <laughs> she's not wearing a bra um you know <laughs> but it is second wave feminism yeah. um well um, yeah and then in which case it's funny because you think about it that way uh, and none of the, ra- all the bad stuff that happens is because of that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they'd have just stayed on their own little merry way, uh, Jack wouldn't got pissed off. Wouldn't right. have uh, attacked uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Right. And they all would have gotten pregnant. And then once they all realized they were pregnant, that would have brought them closer. They might not have been wanting to kick him out until after they had the children. He was a good guy. Yeah, <laughs> the town is what hurt him. Yeah, no, uh, that's not true. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, it's definitely a commentary. I wouldn't say it's anti-polygamy. If anything, the film is rooting for that. And the town is almost like, you know, the, the women are the heroes, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that they're being outcast is... I don't know. I don't think the movie agrees with the, the locals. Like the that's true because yeah, because it's like at the end. I mean, when it does happen, like we're all sort of as the audience, we're all kind of like it's stupid. Like, why do they care? Like, yeah, anyone who's like, you know, who's on the side of the main characters is just like, well, they're happy. Why? Why? Why are we? Why are we bothered by this? It's not hurt. It's literally not hurting anyone. That's just it. And they all end up back in bed with him. I mean, I mean, they do it to trick him. But at that yeah. point, that's a that's a hellified third act. That is a hellified third act. That is just altogether. But I mean, they they learn all that magic real quick. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things on. That's one of the. That's one of the things that I sort of like as a person who recently wrote their own horror movie. And I'm going to say something controversial right now, but I feel like sort of horror movies, I feel like are a, are, I don't, it it does not upset me when I see an all white cast in a horror movie, because there are things that happen in like supernatural slash things 
or horror movies and stuff like that that like characters do not react to. And I get to sort of like, I'll be like, oh, okay, that's a, you know, that white character is not reacting to it the same way that a black character will react to it. The most famous example of which is Craig T. Nelson's character in Poltergeist. Mm. There's this scene where like Craig T. Nelson comes home, he's whipped and he comes into the house and his wife is like, look what the baby can do. And the baby slides across the kitchen floor, just slides across the linoleum. And he's just like, huh. And I'm like, no, like, (laughs) no, unless there are magnets in that baby's ass and you are somehow using them to propel that baby across the floor. We also don't do that to a baby. Yeah. Don't do that to a baby. We've got to go. We've got to go now. I don't care what is in this house. I would rather see it all burn than to deal with what comings, comes to happen next. Sliding across the floor is just them getting their way, just to get their foot in the door. No, no. Stop. Let us, let's go. Get your shit. Let's go. Like, no. I don't think that's controversial at all. If, if anything, you're, you're defending, uh, you're defending the, you're defending, uh, color not color blind casting the opposite uh by saying uh at least the you know the white people are being accurate to white people yeah i just i because you know like the tennis sequence like no one freaks out about that like nobody freaks out they're just like yeah we just we're just playing we have telekinetic powers now like we just you know what i mean we can shoot balls from like tennis records into the stratosphere and, and cause major lightning storms. Nobody's freaking out. No one is having a moment. And for me, I'm just kind of like, well, I guess, because, you know, it's like for white people. So, you know, that's cool. Like, it's fine. Like, no. It, it, you immediately put a black person in that cast, one black person in that cast, the whole movie changes. No. It immediately we have something to say. It wasn't. I, I was I reading can't. up on, on alternate casting and there was, I can't remember. I had to look at it again. There was one um, black woman that was up for it at one point. I can't remember who I could look it up again, but uh, good. Th- maybe, maybe they would have shifted the scene or yeah, it, have said it something. would have had to like, you know, I, and I, you know, I don't want to put like, you know, like speak and put black people into a monolith, but like, like there's that opening scene in get out. And one of the things that I love about Get Out is that it has that sort of vibe to it where you're like, okay, I understand where this scene is going, what this scene is coming from. You know what I mean? Like everything about it is the same reaction that I feel like I would have. Like, you know, then you have Rod who has the the most extreme reactions be like, I told you not to go in a house. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) but that one part at the beginning of the movie where like the Keith Stanfield is like walking down the street, he's like looking for this house. And then you have the car like drive past him and stop. And then he immediately sees the car and goes, not today, Satan. And like turns around and like walks in the other direction. Cause that's what I would do. Cause I was like, no, okay. Mm -hmm. I see you. I see you. No. Okay, I'm gonna go in the opposite direction of that because I'm not heading into trouble. Yeah, I mean, the movie is literally called Get Out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a reason, right? I can't. I did, and that to me, so the reaction, my, like, my only thought is, is because you know, to be fair, not to be fair, uh, you know, white people come from a long line of uh, 
privilege where we don't have to worry about shit behind our back. We can walk down the street at, at night and have a car slow down by us and us not go, that's for me. They're gonna, they're, that car wants to fuck me up. We, that the thought does not cross our mind because yeah. we don't deal with shit like that. So for 100%, I think you're right. It's like, but to the point where for, as a white person watching movies like that, I mean, it's always, see, I think I did the poltergeist on the show. And I'm sure we commented on the baby thing. But why does that guy not freak out more? Right. Why aren't you freaking out? Like, why aren't you immediately freaking out? Like, that is a moment where you're like, oh, this does not exist in nature. And in this movie, they literally talk about how they're, she's just like, you know, nature is just, it's unnatural. So it's fine. It's all good. It doesn't freak me out when I make tennis balls levitate it doesn't it doesn't freak me out because you know the world is there's freaky stuff in it man it just stuff happens so i'm just letting it fall or mm. fall off my shoulders i'm cool i'm just gonna have sex with you it's fine you know i'm, I'm gonna get pregnant it's all good it doesn't matter to me it's all fine mm-hmm. it's, it's, all cool. it's all cool that my friends are having sex with you too it's all good we're all good here we're just having a good time in your large mansion in your large pool and you came out of the literally nowhere and you know it's 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 all fine it's all gravy baby let's just do this thing and have sex like you know what i mean like nobody's having an issue with the fact that there's levitation there's a man a literally a mysterious stranger who came into town nobody could remember his name um for a whole entire day and then (laughs) like nobody's freaking out at any of this and then they have this giant thing where it's like we're definitely doing magic you can no longer imagine that we are not doing magic we are clearly at least a part of something that is magic magic is now a thing yeah it wasn't a thing the other day now it is and it seems to err on the side of not kind magic (laughs) (laughs) which means maybe right maybe we should be concerned about the magic maybe we're evil now i don't know Everything's uh, all natural. Well, like there's literally a, a, a sequence where she just rationalizes it. And I didn't realize that up until this point, but now, you know, seeing things as older as while you're an adult, you realize that's a screenwriting thing where like, you know, we need some way, like even in this whole thing of like, oh yeah, no, the audience is going to, you know, buy it just because it's a movie. But at the same time, you need somebody to just like explain why they're not freaking out that they're just doing magic and all decided to shack up together literally after meeting the dude one day after he decided to move into town. Like, fine. It's all good. It's all good. Oh, man. And then, you know, once Felicia dies, then they're like, well, you know, maybe we should not do the thing. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't use our magic powers to murder people. And maybe we yeah. should cut ties with the guy that gave them to us. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. No, that's Jesus great. Christ, that's, that's... that scene where he is eating, what is that fruit he is eating? It's passion fruit, isn't it? I guess so. I've never, I've never seen passion fruit like in its raw, in, uh, in, as an actual fruit. That's something that we have here in Ontario that I'm aware of. I think that feels just, like a... He just eats it like... <sighs> He does not. Of this movie. He, he's not eating that thing for hunger. He he is <laughs> fucking that thing with his mouth. <laughs> he just smash. It's just smash. Like I smash food in my face. That guy. Like, he's not even trying to eat it. He's just no. rubbing it all over his face, 
and it hurts her. Yeah, and they went through the thing of like saying that you know, of course, the with the way that the insides are, they're saying that it's uh, you know her ovaries, or you know, they're making the the sort of metaphor without actually saying that it's a metaphor. Also, because I don't think they wanted like they she's supposed to be pregnant, and they don't want to sort of encroach on like he could be literally hurting her baby. Like nobody wants to do that. Like right, yeah. She's just so, hemorrhaging blood that they can't stop. That's how they say it. She's hem- she's hemorrhaging, and then there's a scene because literally, like, there she puts her hand on her head, and then it comes away bloody. And you're like, "Where is that blood coming from?" And it's obviously coming from. Yeah, that's there's only one opening. I assume that was coming from. Right. And so, but they're not, but they never go there. They just sort of, I wonder if that was like a studio note. If like, they were like, we cannot have her having blood come from anywhere down there. Do you yeah. understand me? Anywhere did you get any takes where, where you did not get the blood on? She's like, <laughs> no, that we are. Like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I need although they want to reshoot. Like they, an they apparently insert. they reshot. I don't know what it was, but apparently they reshot the ending. Uh, or parts of the ending anyway. It didn't whatever the ending was, it didn't test well. I imagine they added the bit where he's still alive inside the TV to to show yeah, that. I can I'm, see that. I can see them adding that because it seems like whatever they did for that ending, that was not a new ending. That was super expensive mm-hmm. at the time, you know, for the effects that they were doing. Yeah, the giant uh, Daryl troll. Arrow, yeah, yeah, kaiju, that. kaiju, kaiju. Um, but, she, but that, but even just even just like the all the wind stuff with him just flying down the, yeah, all that great wire work. I'm assuming it's wire work they're doing, and they're removing them later on. Somehow. Yeah, pulling him and like that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, the industrial lights and magic did do the special effects. So yeah, it's pretty solid. Yeah, um, even for 1987, the special effects don't take you out of the movie. Like it's really solid effects. No, it, um, it's it's fairly. I mean, the tennis ball, you know, uh, but it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty seamless and solid. Yeah, like, yeah like you said, cozy. it doesn't make you. It doesn't make you go oh 80s. <laughs> like the last one that we watched, where we were like, "All right, somebody oh, really likes fade outs ter- here." Yeah, terrible. Terrible effects. Terrible. Um, do you know Susan Sarandon and Cher were cast in the opposite roles? And then Cher wanted the one that Susan Sarandon had. And Sarandon did not know until she showed up on location. Really? I read that somewhere. I was like, that's a shitty thing to do to Susan Sarandon. Well, that would have been an interesting day on set. I mean, you've you've had some pretty interesting uh confrontations with actors can you imagine that shit and so so, uh, what's going on share one of your part so we gave it to her uh moving on yeah there's also studio you're gonna be great you're gonna be great you're gonna be great susan susan you're gonna be great that feels like any of my fucking lines yeah that calls like that feels like a call to the agent who uh then has to That's a, she gets that with baby. What uh, what do you want me to say? It's showbiz, baby. Shares the biggest thing walking right now. I don't. I yeah. really don't. Do you know who was cast in this movie before Nicholson? Who's that? This will not surprise you, given the role. Okay, Al Bill Pacino. Murray. 
Bill Murray. Bill Murray. I'm trying to imagine Bill Murray's the devil. Oh, he'd have been great. He'd have been so good. It'd be different. It would have been subtle. More subtle. and Yeah, he wouldn't have. Ah, but then you'd have these little flourishes, right? Like you look at him in Scrooged. And and some other things. And yeah, because like, he's wild, man. Um, he, but, you know, he, in certain movies. But here, Jack is just like laying it on thick in every scene. Where you'd see a bit more nuance, I think, from Bill Murray, ironically. Yeah, the scene where, like, uh, you know, that's one of my favorite movie conversations of all time. Where Jack Nicholson talks about how marriage is good for the husband, bad for the woman. It's so good. It, yeah, scene. it's it's so good. He's just like, and he's running around complaining that he's fucking a dead woman, and he's the one who killed her. Like, <laughs> he's just, he's just delivering the shit out of these lines. He's loving it, and then he's, she's like, "Why are you telling me this?" He was just like, "Well, you know, I thought you would appreciate, it, but if you want me to tweet you like uh, a twit, like you I, know what I mean?" He's yeah. he just <laughs> lays it all out. That seems fantastic. Well, you can get why she turns around on him, you know. Mm-hmm. He is just like this a smooth talker. Yeah, man. That suit he's wearing is bonkers. That black little whatever that number is. <laughs> all of his clothes, all of them. And then he makes that terrible Oriental comment when he's yeah. like, they, they, is they, they dry, "There's no dry cleaning in the small town." Not enough Orientals. Oh my god. Oh, it's great. It, it, it you know. I I read something about the studio. Uh, they were trying to do budget cuts and George Miller was looking, looking at the, all the different things. He's like, well, you can take my trailer. I don't, I'm never going to be in it. I don't, you know, I'm going to be on set solving problems and dealing with stuff. So just take my trailer away. And because of that, they thought he was a pushover. And so they used it to mess with him and just like override him and other stuff. He'd ask for 50 extras. They, they, they'd approve 12 and that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, until Jack Nicholson stopped, stepped in and was like, nah, and he, and said that if they didn't stop fucking with him and all the things he needed, he would walk off set. Wow. Yeah, there's a I I, I love those those. That's uh, the director have that. That's the actor having that. That's a good. That's a good relationship between actor and director where they're going to stand up for them. Well, yeah, you could tell like Nicholson clearly had the freedom to just like be out there, man, and like you know, there's clearly. I mean, George. Miller has worked with enough, you know, uh, marquee actors so that he clearly has sort of uh, like a handle on how to deal with crazy. Manage, yeah, manage those type of like large personalities. And it's well, an art, man. It, like it you really got to imagine it's like, because like, this is his first big US thing, right? I think mm-hmm. he directed an episode of The Twilight Zone before this, but this is his first like US debut. And and if anything, you got because even though like George Miller can go bonkers, right? Mm-hmm. You feel like it's actually he's probably in this relationship with Jack, like he's the brakes and Jack is the gas. Mm-hmm. As opposed to him pushing Jack, he's probably like, "Hey, you know how you rub the the passion fruit all over your face? Maybe let's do one more clean one, where you just <laughs> you make it, you know, you get some of it in your mouth." <laughs> I'm loving, I'm loving it. I'm loving everything that you're giving me, but I feel like, you know what? Like the way the camera is, like less is more. 
So let just for fun, let's do one. That's just, uh, you don't vomit over everyone on camera. <laughs> Although that's it. I read somewhere they had built a Felicity. They built an animatronic doll of her to, for the throwing up the cherry scene mm-hmm. to make it, but it was too much. The audience couldn't handle it in the test screening. So they had to reshoot it. Well, I mean, there's like clearly more that happens in that scene because when you, when you go back to Richard Jenkins, like right when he says, let's call it a day. And he decides that he's just going to like murder his wife. Um, like you look at the wall and there's there's stuff on the wall that she's clearly vomited up the wall. But we haven't seen that. Like they didn't show us that. No, that's so what that's what it. was cut out. Like they apparently it was bonkers, insane, over the top <laughs> animatronic doll throwing up left, right and center. And the audience, test audience, they were pulled out of it going, this is bonkers this is too much yeah. too much this is like some dead alive shit man like this is peter jackson shit like pull it back <laughs> pull it back please but that's just it it's like it is finding that but and it's riding that line and finding that line of what what you know yeah because it's a fine line between like like kitsch and camp and like supernatural drama like it really has uh like a really fine tone it's able to be serious and, you know, uh, and funny. And, you know, yeah. it, it just is able to ride those lines. And it's just it, me, weaving through genres. Like it's a little horror here. It's a little supernatural there. It's a little comedy here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, and the trick to that, as you know, too, is like you find that tone. You don't find that tone on set. You no. find that tone in the editing room. Because <laughs> on set, you just got to kind of embrace all of it. And give yourself some room to play, and, and hopefully you don't paint yourself into the corner in any one moment. And yeah, you got the gotta, script for as a guide, and then it's like he's got to trust your weird, wacky instincts you have, and then hope that in the edit, it's all going to flow together, and music will also help bind it too. Oh, that score is gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. It's like like you can literally, it's you know, it's an '80s, so they have those hummable themes. It's so great. Um, but that score is 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 absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I will say this, uh, like, I don't know if you disagree with me, but like, I'm looking at the production design of this movie and it feels like this movie is a cousin to Beetlejuice. I was going to say, I literally wrote down the town in the opening scene. I swear it's the same town as Beetlejuice. <laughs> feels like it, doesn't it? Like they even have, it's. I swear to God, I saw, I thought I saw for a second that, like, that covered bridge. Yeah. The cover bridge. Yeah. I mean, they're around the same time. This is 87. Beetlejuice Mm -hmm. is later. Beetlejuice is like 89 or something. 89, I think, think, yeah. No, Uh, that's not true. Batman's 89. Batman is 89, yeah. So it would have been before. So this is the same time? Is it 87? I'm on it. 88. Oh, my God. Almost. Close. But I wonder if it is the same production designer. Um, because it does like it does share. I did keep on thinking as I was watching it, Mike. This feels like Tim Burton. It doesn't quite feel like Tim Burton. Is Tim but it feels Burton like liked. Tim Burton could have uh, could consulted. have been consulted or just been yeah, or, or heavily influenced by Tim Tim Burton anyway mm-hmm. in terms of uh, 
in terms of it. Uh, looking at the crew, where are you? Um, but yeah, I felt that too watching it. I was like, there's there's a distinct Tim Burton. Oh, it's Bo Welch. So he did do a shitload of work for he did like Edward Scissorhands. Yep. It feels so, like that too. So he might have, let me just, where's the goddamn filmography? Come on. Uh there's a very good chance that he did do that as well. Moments. Yeah, he did do Beetlejuice. Same yep. production designer. There you go. That guy was busy. That makes sense. Mystery solved. It was. Yeah, there you go. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I, I really, really dug it. I'm so I don't know. And it's one of those movies that I always was aware of and I hadn't seen it. And I don't know if I ever would have got around to it if you hadn't brought it up. So I appreciate this. Well, good. I'm glad. This is sort of like my redemption from the <laughs> But you know what? Here's the thing. I felt like this movie, the storyline of it, while I love the movie, while I absolutely love the movie, and I, I think I think two things. Number one, when people say they don't make movies like this anymore, that's sort of a miss. It, the idiom is sort of attributive wrong there, where it's like, um, or the saying is sort of attributed wrong because this much like anything else today is based on a book and that's how you get things done. It's based off of IP that already exists. I'm sure the book was a bestseller um, and it's done by a famous writer, John Updike, who a lot of his work has been uh, adapted. That's number one. So it's not that, but what it is, is some of that same sort of thing that we were talking about earlier where, you know, you do have this sort of bonkers second act uh in the third act like this that man that i mean that third act is just absolute batshit bonkers um where like once they <laughs> once he leaves that house the <laughs> all bets are off man like they just fucking go for it and even and not like it was like playing it that safe the scene where like how many times have they like desecrated a church in this movie? Like, like <laughs> literally <laughs> twice <laughs> where like, you know, they're making a lot of, you know, sort of, but they are allowed to sort of make large sweeping uh, big statements about, and they don't necessarily feel like Hollywood elitist, mm. like, but they are sort of allowed to make statements about small town group think, uh, sort of against a progressive nature, which has nothing to do with them and does not hurt them in the slightest. But just because it goes against like literally one small mind and then everybody else sort of follows suit. And it's and these people are choosing to do this like that's It's there in the background. It doesn't necessarily take over the movie and it doesn't necessarily validate Jack Nicholson or any of the girls' choices. But at the same time, what they're doing is their business. Does not hurt the people in the town. But at the same time, that storyline is there. That piece is there. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel elitist. It just feels like like that. that's just human nature. And the Yeah. Of- it's, I mean, that's kind of what I was going for in uh, How to Plan an Orgy. You know, yeah. that, that kind of thing. Um, but I agree. Like, I, I don't- love yeah, I know you love that. I appreciate that, brother. Um, and 
I don't know. It's like I. Uh, it's funny because I, I I agree with that because I have these conversations all the time. It's like we don't like movies like this anymore, and those are the kind of movies like I'm interested in making and trying to make. Right, right, right. As we go through. You know, I just did like I think as close as I'll ever get to like a weird '80s uh, movie. The the one I shot in the in the Caymans. Like it's got. I don't. I, don't, I can't give away too much because the movie's gonna come out. But you know, just people people running around being crazy. And right, not just like that kind of energy, uh, and like that sort of. You could tell the budget on this is so large. Like if you yeah. tried to, if you tried to do something like this, you know what would happen? Immediately, somebody would say, "This is a series. This is not a movie. This is a Netflix series. This is a a, a, a mini series, or like a like a thing. Like you like this much of a cast." In order to, to justify this kind of a budget and the magic and the every and the tone and everything else, this is a show, not a movie. They tried that a couple of times to make this into a show. I think it will work as a Netflix show. Like I absolutely think it will work as a Netflix show. Something that's very like because I saw I remember watching Eastwick Eastwick when it was a network show, and it doesn't work because networks aren't allowed. I mean, as much as people think Desperate Housewives was some sort of thing, it's very tame. You know, in terms of yeah. like what, like this movie is even like. Um, well, sexuality is free flowing, and and you know, this is the town shaming them. Yes, but are they shaming each other? No, no, right. Um, They're a little jealous for a beat there, but you know that's yeah. But then they get over it <laughs> rather Real quickly. Quick. Yeah, um, but you know, for me, it's like you know the the fun would be in the having of those conversations and being able to explore those conversations, you know, and like really like dive into the nasty nitty gritty of like, you know, that sort of, uh, that sort of kind of playground, that sort of carnal playground that you can have with these characters, you know, and the mixture of the magic and the, you know, the, the metaphor and stuff like that, man, you could really go hog wild. And like, you, a, Oh man, if I, if I had that, if I did that show, I would spend one episode on each of the first seductions. Yes. Like each each of them would get their own episode. Just like a two-hander between Done. you know, you could have so much you you could really do some cool stuff because television really is which really some of the best television is so structureless. Like they just don't worry about like it's okay to have a bottle episode. It's okay to have a two-hander episode with the rest of the cast isn't there. You know, there's so there's so much less of a a, a format to so much of it. That sort of X Files format, where it's like sometimes you're doing like a like a like a like a what do they call it? Dude, what the sort of story episodes or one the the ah what's the word I'm looking for? The bottom, uh, the oh, um, I don't know what you're talking about. We're just everything's contained, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, not just everything is contained, but you're doing the the, the sort of legacy stuff, the sort of main story like overarching story. Like one time you're doing one of those, like the cigarette smoking man is in this episode because he's going to talk about the aliens and stuff like that. And yeah. then another time it's just like, this guy is going to die, you know, and he's in a car with Mulder, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like those, that type of format that, that the X-Files, X-Files sort of pioneered. You could really make a really great sort of um, use that format um, to great, sort of effect on in a show like Witches of Eastwick um, where you're doing some of the episodes are contained like you said like doing like like two-handers and how each of them is seduced and then you know you could have like random episodes where it's just like the like Jane is doing a performance 
with the children and, you know, this is happening and the people are, they all want the children out because, you know, they're all living up at this house now, like that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like it would be a mix back to and forth. You don't have to have everything so sort of self-contained uh, uh, or like art that sort of everything is art where you have to watch the previous episode to understand what's going on in this episode, that sort of thing, sort of a mixture between the two. But um, I really feel like you can have a really large stamp sandbox to play for possibly two, three seasons. I can see three seasons of this. Anything any longer than that, you're really just dragging the story out. But like um, three solid seasons of this show. And that's the other thing about uh, doing something for network television. You're not going to get away with doing three seasons of a show. It's got to be at least five. Um, Yeah. You you want to have a plan for that. I mean, they try to push you, depending on how successful the show is. Whether it's Netflix or not, they're still going to try to push, but they're not going to, like, sacrifice quality. Right. This, that's sort of the greatest thing about Breaking Bad is that it ends when it, it needs to end. You know what I mean? They don't try to push it and make, you know, then Walt goes to prison. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's do it. Like, we don't need that season. We don't. Um, and, you know, there's El Camino, which is really nice, but you don't necessarily. You don't need you know, El Camino. You don't need El Camino. But like um, those seasons work because the story is told. It had a beginning, it had a middle, it had an end, and then it, then that's it. That's, that's all she wrote. It's one of those series that has just zero fat. Yeah, exactly. Zero fat. Um, yeah. It's, it's so good. Uh, but I really enjoy this film. Like, uh, the tone of it is, is like, like I said, they don't make movies like this anymore just for sort of the the, the freedom of tone to be able to do it. And then also, like I said, they don't, they don't give budgets to stuff like this anymore. They really don't. This no. clearly had like a sizable budget. Like it was not playing around. And, you know, unless start- they, they thought they could turn this into like, here's, here, here's how you get this to be a big budget studio movie. Now Ugh. you, you reduce the ages of the entire cast by about 20, 30 years. <sighs> And and by the end, they're like a superhero unit. Oh, <laughs> but right, that's how you do it. You're really hurting my feelings right now, Father, <laughs> like, because I can see the movie that you just pitched me. I can see it in my head, and I hate it. I hate it. It is so sanitized because it's PG thirteen, and like at the end, they're like, no, yeah, they're like which superheroes? They're like. Yeah, no, it's in high school. They're all in high school. That's how. Stop it. <laughs> he's Stop he's it the new hurts. senior. He's the new senior, and he takes all their virginities. Oh my god! It's like uh, the it's like a Sabrina thing. It's like Sabrina. Like yeah. it's like. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't but like it. That's how you. Uh, that's yeah. How you that's how it. you. That's how you get that budget. That's how you get that budget. I yeah. don't like it. Yeah, you don't cast women in their thirties. Yeah, thirties or forties. Like I think Cher. Like what isn't Cher pushing like her forties at that point? Oh man, she looks or good she, though. She does. She's immortal. She's clearly a vampire. When are we going to just admit that Cher is a vampire? When is she going to just like stop bullshitting? 
and just like come out and just be like, well, you know, vampires exist because, you know, it's been fun. Like, I don't kill a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like, I have yeah. people. That, I, I don't kill any more than. Them. <laughs> yeah. I don't kill any more people than the average celebrity does and hides it. You know, I the baby shot like, a man at Walmart, you know? <laughs> fuck. Just shot a man at Walmart. I just, you know, they want me to bite them. They want me to. They ask me to. Yeah. I'm just doing what they ask me to. I, I have, have a consent. wait list. It's a wait list. <laughs> she has so many familiars. They're all just so many. Little, they just want her to turn them. <laughs> She's like, next now, year. Could you year. like that's a now there's an idea for a movie. Could you do sort of like a like a movie that like comments on the fact that like Cher is 75 and she still looks that good? Like, you know, like you're just doing like a like a Jean-Claude Van Damme, like JCVD, but where Cher, where like Cher is a <laughs> I want to think Cher would have a have a real sense of humor about that pitch. That could go sideways. That pitch could end so up with, with something so at your fast. door that you do not want. They've kicked you out of Hollywood. I didn't even get into Hollywood. They kicked you out. You can't come in. Yeah. You've been you Hollywood has a restraining order against you. You, you cannot even get in. You can't. Okay, last thing. The servant. Yeah. I uh I swear I just know him as from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I know him from. I think he was also in Men in Black. Yep. He's like, he's he one of those the the guy with the the alien in his head. Oh yeah, no, yeah, the servant yeah. to the guy with the alien in his head. So good. Just that guy. It's just because he doesn't never speak. You don't ever want him to. I was just so happy he never spoke. I felt so also, bad for him. He's Lurch. Too. Yeah, I thought he was Lurch. Okay. He's Lurch. Like just when they go to get ice cream and donuts, which is the oh no, ice cream and bagels. Bagels, yeah. The most random I guess they're making came a, out of the I guess they're making a pregnancy joke, the idea that they want like well, no, it looked like from the stuff that he had in his hand, like they were going to do a backdoor luau. Like he's got a bunch of tiki torches and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, from the things so I guess. <laughs> I felt so bad for him. Like he, he, oh, he just wants to ride back. Yeah. And then at the end, like he's there with the women. And I was like, I commented on my wife. This is how, you know, I guess like, you know, that the movie does sort of succeed in its feminism. Like where it was just like at the end, he's gone. They kept the house. I'm like, and him as his manservant. And I was just like, they just keep everything? They just took over. They just took over. And my wife's like, yeah. And I was like, how does that work? Yeah. (laughs) Who's paying for that shit? Who's? Unclear. Unclear. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing that that did bug me, even though they all learned that their magical powers real fast. Right. When Susan Sarandon is falling to her death, no, is it Michelle Pfeiffer who falls over the balcony at the end and she's no, falling? No, it's, it's Susan Sarandon. Yeah, and it's they're Susan just like laugh. like, laugh. How do they know that's going to work? <laughs> you got to believe, man. <laughs> but laughing—that is a bold... well. That's what they—that's what they did. That's what they were doing when, like, you know, when she started, oh, they were right. laughing at her when she was levitating, like she was hanging off the chandelier, and then they started. Uh, flying and then oh, they were like, right. oh yeah I, no i totally forgot about that moment so yeah, yeah that's, that's why otherwise that is a like that's a bold <laughs> random choice to make laugh in the face of danger ha 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 but i love that for that idea like the idea of, like laugh in the face of death and you mm-hmm. will not die like i like that as like a, a, an anti-curse 
Uh, yeah, man. I mean, but then again, like that scene, like what took me out of the movie was sort of a moment right before that moment where like he like roars the door off the hinges and like they fly. You see, <laughs> there's flying. They're like in Sky Zone. Stair- no, what is that? Yeah. I fly? They're like an I fly unit. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap. Like they're okay, none of these women are going to miscarry from being just thrown into, like, this supernatural tornado down the stairs. Okay. We're just... Cool, cool. It's fine. It's magic. It's magic. Yeah. Um, They're having the devil's children anyway, so who cares? Yeah, they're going to survive anything in that pregnancy. (laughs) Michelle Pfeiffer survives uh, nonstop hemorrhaging (laughs) for several hours. Days, man. It was like a day. It was like a day and a half where she's yeah. like just in the hospital. And then they show like that, you know, the veritable like zoo of, of children that she has. And they're just like, I'm like, oh, I guess the baby, it's a babysitter's day off. Yeah. Movie. That's the, that's my wife's always biggest pet peeve. She's like, where are the kids? If yeah, you're any show about these children, any show about parents, like, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Desperate Housewives, when we watch that show, that drove her nuts. She's like, where are the kids all the time? Where the hell are the kids? These these parents are terrible. <laughs> exactly. Who is watching these children? Like, literally, who's watching these children? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, they're just at home raising themselves. Well, uh, this is fun, man. Yeah. Uh, good times. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. I'm glad you got a chance to, to finally watch it. Uh, thanks for thanks for punting it up there. I it was not one that was necessary. It was always one of those ones that was like off in the distance. And I knew Miller directed it and I wanted to see it eventually, but I just never found like good reason. So this was ideal. Yeah. Good times, thanks, man. man. All right. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for the Witches of Eastwick. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.